0: Good Wednesday morning. Today, Dr. John's going to be speaking about some things on his heart. He just finished up talking at a Catholic event, and he wants to talk about where things are going, where our children are, and where our minds are. Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's good morning here anyway. I don't know what it's like with you. It's a beautiful day here. Um, I was just listening to a bit of uh, Jordan Peterson's uh, weekly podcast uh, with this week, talking to Douglas Murray uh, and talking about purpose, and uh, I was interested in the way in which they went about it, which was not the way I think someone brought up within the Christian tradition would do, Um, but you can go listen for yourself, and I'll talk about it in the way that I think about it, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what conversation emerges, if any. Um, Purpose is an interesting idea, I mean, it's always been around, Uh, it goes back. The Greeks thought about it. Everybody thinks about it every now and again. And one of the problems at the moment, particularly with the young, we give them no real purpose in their lives, so they're aimless and lost. And uh, we don't do well under those circumstances. Uh, you see it very clearly: a working-class guy uh, who develops an illness which takes away his job. Losing the job is, in many ways, more. Worrying to him has more effect psychologically than the illness because you've taken away his meaning. So many people have their meaning invested in what they do rather than in who they are. Uh, In the end, we all cease doing. That's the end of life. Uh, We leave as helpless and as naked as we arrived. Uh, That's the human condition and any way of thinking about it which doesn't deal with that is bound to be in trouble. Now, uh, the standard Western understanding uh, didn't come from the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, It came from the Greeks, to a large extent, the dominant one for a long while, and I want to talk a little bit about that. Now, when the Greeks were talking about meaning and purpose, uh, Aristotle's idea uh, was that you needed purpose in your life uh, to make it meaningful. And so any any explanation of anything, whatever it was, meaning had to be part of the explanation. The purpose had to be part of the explanation. So classically, there were four causes for everything, four, four categories you needed to think about. Uh, the easiest way to remember it is to think about something like a statue. Uh, in order to ha- make shall we say, David, Michelangelo had to have the idea in his head to begin with. He famously would say you would look at a piece of marble and then liberate what he saw in it. So the things you needed were, first of all, the concept of what you were doing. Uh, secondly, you had to have the material. Uh, thirdly, you had to have the skill. And fourthly, you needed to know why you were doing it. Uh, what was the overall purpose and you see artists get things right even when they do bad things sometimes like modern art much of it has no purpose in it other than to annoy everyone and basically rip off the taxpayer doing horrible things like you know the piss Christ and that sort of thing um, that what they're dealing with is their own emptiness within um, Aristotle and the Greeks understood you really needed purpose. And so that, that was an essential category. And those four categories, uh, they have names which you don't need to remember, just think of the statue, but they're the, the formal, the material, the efficient, and the final causes, they were called. And they dominated everything for a long while. Now... Uh, The the final cause of the statue, of course, was to beautify a situation or to bring something true to life. It it had an abstract objective. Now, that had a problem attached to it that nobody really thought about for a long while. Um, If you use the four causes, why do you do science? Uh, That wasn't thought out for a long while. The way it came about, I think, was very interesting. So Aristotle actually fossilized science for over a thousand years, uh, 1,500 years, uh, because he was so smart and he knew he was smart, and that led to two acts of pride. One was he didn't need to check his ideas. He didn't do experiments, which is a... A frightening situation to have people in when they're so sure they're right, they don't bother with the experiments. Uh, We had that in lockdown. They didn't have the data to know what this was like. And they were so sure they were okay and they were going to save the world from disaster that they went ahead without doing what would have been done in the past. And as people now acknowledge, if we had known what we know now, that vaccine wouldn't have been released for general use. And certainly, young men in particular should not take it. They've had a significant death rate from the vaccine. Uh, I think that is now generally known, if not generally accepted. Uh, Look at the data, I think it's overwhelming. So do most people that appear to me to be doing due diligence. Uh, We used to say anything that had a death rate over one in 100,000 had to be a very good vaccine dealing with a very serious issue. Well, the death rate in, uh, the unaccounted death rate in the COVID epidemic is way beyond that. So, uh, Aristotle knew he was smart when he had an idea. He assumed he was right. So, no experiments. So, he, he, he really did a lot of damage to the physical sciences. He, for instance, thought from his uh, intellectual point of view that things would fall in relation to their weight, Obviously he'd seen a feather floating through the air and he'd seen a stone fall and so he drew a conclusion which was false. Uh, He only needed to go to the nearest cliff with two reasonably sized stones uh, but one much bigger than the other and he would have found they hit the ground simultaneously. End of theory. That's the point of an experiment. When you you get a negative answer you ought to ditch the theory and start again. We often don't do that. We fiddle with it for years, particularly if we've got ourself invested in it. Uh, it's often jokingly said some theories can't, even when they're wrong, can't be got rid of till their uh, original uh, creators have died. It's the hardest paper to publish. Uh, it took me several years to study one, in, to publish one in this category. Is a paper purporting to, sh- in fact, showing that the standard view that had great names in the area attached to it was wrong. Um, and as I say, I, I had to argue with the editors for four years to publish it, but it got published in the end. Uh, I was lucky I did it before everybody died in that category. But that that's a typical story where there's a lot of human attachment to the work of science as well. It's not this cold, distant, entirely objective thing. So, What happened was that towards the end of the Middle Ages when Greek learning had come back from its time of care under the Muslims and uh, around the 10th century started coming from Spain into Europe and ignited some great intellects, perhaps most importantly Thomas Aquinas, um, and the arrival of deductive logic gave university profs a whole course that they could now teach with much more uh, authority than they did before. They loved it. But um, I certainly remember setting off for university and the last thing my mother said to me was "Be beware of philosophers. And certainly in the evangelical church, uh, there is a definite streak of anti-intellectualism, which is wrong. I mean, you need to have your checks and balances in place but uh, to turn your back on it is not a good idea but uh, I didn't of course Uh, um, but I understood what my mother was saying and I mean she was quoting Paul beware of philosophy Uh, you do need to be able to think about it which which is why the church needs to put a lot more effort into training the mind Uh, Sadly, this coming year, we really don't have enough students to make it a profitable year for us at Augustine College. So any of you listening who know young people who've really been, I could almost say, crucified by what's happened to them in university over the last couple of years, don't send them off to take a psychological break. Send them to us at Augustine College. Go look augustinecollege.org and you'll see what we do. Uh, We don't memorize and dump we try to build an intellectual structure that they can use for the rest of their life. And judging by what our alumni say to us, we're pretty successful at it. So it's a good year. Uh, It's the best gap year I could think of, anyway. That's an aside, Uh, a little advertising. I hope you'll forgive me. But uh, the Bishop of Paris was in the same category as my mum in one level, but he was worried that this new Greek-based thinking might undermine the faith of the humble poor. So, he put a a ban on the teaching of Aristotelian uh, deductive logic uh, from Thomas Aquinas. Uh, Paris controlled the University of Paris, and so they had to obey. They didn't control Oxford. Oxford went on. Um, They never actually... Managed to get the whole thing done. It was supposed to be reviewed by a committee, and the committee never, never happened, so to speak. And you can't stop new ideas that have implications from being discussed and worked on. And in due course, it happened, but it did lead to at least a temporary halt because all the universities were Catholic inventions, and uh, the, the local bishop had authority. So if he said, don't do that, they had to argue with him to get permission. Uh, I can imagine that if it was in August and you had to start teaching in September, having your notes from last year taken away from you would not be a pleasant experience. Um, What it forced them to do, however, had a huge impact on the Western world. and I think many of the discussions that start the big, change with the Industrial Revolution fail to go back far enough, I think you need to go further back and I think you can take 1277 as a a sort of useful date I I first came across this idea from David Lindbergh and you can chase him up if you want to read more big thick book, The Beginnings of Western Science Um, but what wasn't banned was inductive reasoning now, high school teachers don't like to talk about induction. They're not quite sure why they don't. Uh, science, as we know, it, began with inductive reasoning. Uh, they want to call it the hypothetical deductive system because they know that if they accept that it's inductive, they're in trouble. I think it's more intuitive than deeply worked out, but inductive reasoning was not done by Aristotle and his colleagues they didn't start with observation, little observations and then work piece by piece up to the biggest level. They thought of some big concept and worked the other way around, deductively. As Christians would like to start with God and end up with everyday life, but uh, we're not, we don't have minds big enough to do that, so we have to start with everyday life. Now, all cultures have to have means of dealing with everyday life, but only one culture developed science and that was a Judeo-Christian Western culture, and it began, in my view, in the 13th century. The first experiments were done in the next century in Merton College, Oxford, and then it moved on. But what did they do? They said, well, we're not allowed to dedu- do deductive reasoning, but maybe we could do inductive. I think a conversation went something like this, they would say. We're told in the Bible that we should be stewards of nature, that we should understand it, care for it, but It's under our authority. But there's not much evidence of that. Maybe it's simply because we can't do the deductive approach. But if God is who we think he is, then one of his characteristics which shows up in nature must be order and rationality. Rationality was not something God discovered. He is rationality. It's who he is. It's the way he functions. He is rational. And he passed it on to us in the image of God. Not only is the knowledge of good and evil, but the whole idea that the world is rational comes out of that story. And the more you think about it, the more you see it must be true. So, maybe we could do little things that we can understand and work the other way around. Now, uh, the, the people in Merton College started looking at, how the temperature changes along an iron bar when one end is in a flame and the other end is in the open. And they ended up thinking about velocity, which was something that Aristotle never got to because they drew the first graph. They didn't know what they'd done. But now we teach graphing to children in elementary school, but that's only a game. We don't teach them to think about the wonder of it all and how it works. I get to medical students, I I draw a graph, and then they they don't even have any discipline of how to think about it. Uh, They can't. Well, for instance, to take a very simple example, if I show them a graph of children with malnutrition being treated, and uh, look at the daily energy intake on the x-axis, and then put the weight gain on the y-axis, and I ask them what the slope is. They don't know. They can't work it out in most cases. The odd bright one will say, "In oh, it's the cost of growth, isn't it? Yes. The slope of that line tells you how many calories you need for every gram, uh, gram of weight gain. It happens to be a straight line. Uh, if the diet is constant, uh, you're just increasing the amount. Very useful number. Uh, But I mustn't digress into that at the moment. But that all goes back to that graph in Merton College, Oxford. So uh, it it reached its jumping-off point really big time, of course, with Galileo. Uh, He went via Paris through the Resume in Buridan, and then Descartes put his foot in it, and so did Bacon, who were not so good. But Galileo was the one who really went to work on it. And in effect, when he started rolling a ball down an inclined plane and looking at where it fell, he realised that Aristotle was wrong. Aristotle thought that you threw something and it went along in a straight line and then dropped vertically. Uh, what uh, Galileo worked out, of course, is that no, it fell in, in a curve, in an exponential. He was doing it to help gunnery. He wanted to know when a cannonball left uh, the cannon, what was its... Trajectory to the point where it hit the ground. Uh, and he got all this from rolling a ball down a polished plank so that he could neglect friction. An important part of modern science is to neglect things that are of small consequence in order to get to the big one. And ultimately, I mean, he put a man on the moon. Uh, that was uh, all the result of starting to measure. Now, There was no measurement in those four causes that I started with. They were all qualitative ideas, material, skills, purpose. Now everything was changing because when measurement came in and quality was displaced by quantity, we had a different world a very different way. We hadn't thought about it, of course. Uh, Nobody was going to think about it for a long while. They just started using it. You don't need to understand things to use them. And once it was shown that experiments worked, and we call it the experimental method, without thinking about, did it have any prerequisites that we might need to take care of, any foundational statements? And, of course, it does. That's why... uh, couple of people that you could read, Uh, if you haven't come across uh, Mangalwadi, uh, the uh, Indian scholar uh, who's written a a wonderful book about the Bible, because he uh, grew up in India and was educated that way, so that he thought everything in this life was illusion, and the best you can hope for is to get to the end of it. But as he points out, there's absolutely no basis for science in that idea. And then when he understood that science came from the West because they didn't think that way, a pagan can't do an experiment because they've got no reason to do it. If everything is not predictable, which is not in Islam because Allah is not bound by any rules that we know, he can do whatever he likes. So that undermines science. But God is not confined by his character his character establishes reality and that character we know to be reliable therefore when we started making measurements we were in a way worshipping God I mean, Clark Maxwell years later uh, put a verse from the Psalms over the world's most famous laboratory and they preserved it when they built the new one, straight from the Psalms uh, great are the works of the Lord sought out by those who wish to love him serve him, know him. Uh, Quantity displacing quality was a very important thing because, of course, that means that many things can't be dealt with by science because they cannot be measured. The person who understood this right early on was William of Ockham. He never wrote Ockham's Razor, by the way. Uh, It can be deduced from what he did write, but he uh, He's not easy to read. Um, but he was at Oxford when the Merton College things were going on, and he understood what it might do. So he wanted to pull apart two aspects of life. Uh, I think he was wanting to help God, and um, we should probably not do that. God doesn't need our help. Um, but he realized that if this science worked, it might undermine theology so what he called it originally was nominalism he said some things can't be measured now you you only have to stop for a moment to realise that's true the most important one of course in our lives is love we can recognise it, we know it, you can't measure it, there are no units for measuring love you can't measure truth justice, honour There are an awful lot of immaterial things which are central to the the human life that we can't measure, and yet we want to claim that we're following the science. Well, if we are, we're following a way of life which doesn't deal with all of what makes us human as opposed to merely animals. Is it surprising that a process of apparently wanting to care for people which didn't bring any human dimensions into the caring ended up breaking the hearts of many people at the end of their lives as they were not allowed to be present at the death of their loved ones by people who knew what they were doing in the name of science. Very bad move. So what Occam did was to invent what was called nominalism. He said ideas like truth, justice, love, honour have no material existence. They're just names Hence nominalism, from the Latin for name. Uh, it turned into, in due course, uh, reductionism. Uh, it took several centuries for it to reach its sort of clear, dangerous self in public. Um, uh, the 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 damage has to be uh, somewhat distributed, but. Descartes and uh, Bacon must take some of the blame. Uh, Bacon famously said, collect facts. But he defined facts as things that could be measured. And of course, that did give a basis for science. If you can't measure it, it's not scientific. Not quite true, but that's the way we function. And of course, it was incredibly powerful. When you think what has happened in, since that point in the 17th century to now, there's been exponential growth in the wealth of everyone in the world. Even the poorest are three times better off than they were uh, some years back. Uh, it's still terrible abject poverty, but if you actually look at the numbers, uh, the world has learned that Wealth is not a zero-sum. There's not a certain amount of it that if the rich take it, the poor don't have it. No, it doesn't work that way. Wealth is created. And what happened with science, he gave us a means, ultimately, to create wealth. Because as long as we had no applied science, no engineering, what we could do was limited to manpower. Hence, slavery was inevitable in the ancient world. If somebody wanted to do more of something, they had to get hands, and if they wanted to get rich, they didn't want to pay those hands. That's why slavery happened in every culture. And again, it was only the culture that was deeply imbibed by Judeo-Christian thought that began to realize seriously uh, what was wrong with slavery. And the Brits who led the way with Wilberforce uh, cleared the seas of slave ships, And it cost them big. They didn't pay off that debt until the 21st century. That's how long it took to pay for that act of charity for which they get nothing but slanging from ignorant people. Nobody's perfect, but some cultures make progress. Science only happened in the same culture that got rid of slavery. Um, That's just true. Face it. So... uh, once Newton, he said, I, "I don't pretend to do anything than give you a mathematical explanation." But the Newtonians thought he'd done more. They thought he'd explain the whole thing. He thought no. In fact, he was the last of the medievals. He said in the the foreword, in the preface to uh, the Principia, that his greatest joy would be if his science led more people to God. That's what he intended. And of course, all the people involved, Copernicus, Galileo, Kepler, Newton, uh, Boyle, Faraday, Clark Maxwell, they all believed. They were not atheists. They were Christian in culture. And one thing led to another, and in a century or so, all sorts of useful things started to appear. But the decay had also set in. Famously, when Laplace asked by Napoleon where God fitted in his science, said, "Sire, I, I have no need of the concept of God to do science. Because once the method was established and it had been shown to work, you didn't need to bother about how it came to to be in the first place, or at least you thought you didn't. But of course, that that's not true either. So science got a huge push up, and the Galileo affair in particular." got a huge push down so theology went from being the queen of sciences to uh, also ran uh, and being dropped by many universities uh, and the hard sciences dominated everything and the effects were huge uh, but they weren't the same everywhere you need a different understanding of purpose if you are to do science and then move on from that in the way that the Western world did. But uh, best summarized in one verse from St. Paul. Uh, Whatever you do, do all as to the glory of God. Uh, that was, That's a very Christian idea, and it didn't, wa- didn't matter what you were making. The, the best example, of, of course, would be uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, who wrote at the bottom of every manuscript SDG, Sola Deo Gloria, only for the glory of God. And certainly many of the great scientists would wish for nothing better than being uh, able to think that the glory of God had been advanced by their scientific work. But that wasn't what happened. Uh, Engineering took off and the practicalities were all that mattered. And the drive that did it is fascinating, particularly when you, say, compare it with um, teenagers today who at the moment are aimless, uh, wasting their time on trivial games and screens. And you compare that, say, to one of my favourites, George Stevenson, who built the first functional uh, train, steam engine, that could transport things and uh, start production and therefore create wealth. He was both illiterate and innumerate when he built his first steam engine. He'd worked in the mills where they had steam engines pumping water out of of the pits. The mine, uh, I should have said the mines, uh, also in the mills, but in the mines they pumped the water out to to allow the coal to be got at. Uh, And he'd been involved as a young teenager working there helping in the maintenance of those things. And he had a good mind. He understood how it worked. Then he realised he could make a a smaller one and he could put it on rails. He was illiterate when he did that. He sent his son to school so that he could learn to read and write because his son had to go to school and in the evening his dad made him go through everything he'd learned that day. Of course, well long before he was reading and writing perfectly well because he was highly intelligent, clever. And the Industrial Revolution took off like mad and if you're just an economist you look at the graphs and you start looking when wealth increased you forget that there's a background to all of this a history and when we don't know that history we are in deep deep trouble Um, it's interesting mangawari points out that india didn't go anywhere needham who was a marxist uh, scientist also interested in history lived most of his life in china and, but he was too honest to do what many other people like Bertrand Russell said, oh, China is going to overwhelm uh, the rest of the world with its science because uh, they're, they're going about it the right way with Marxism. And Needham was more, obvious, more careful, and he looked and he said, there's no evidence that that's happening. And the Chinese themselves have studied why the West succeeded where China didn't, although In the fifteen hundreds, China was fourteen, fifteen hundreds. China was way ahead of the rest of the world until the Ming Dynasty collapsed. Uh, But they didn't get to science, because, as Needham understood, and as other people have said, they didn't even think about it. Because if you're not worshiping God, you don't look around you and think of Him as someone to be worshipped. Everything's very practical for the Chinese. And it, it hasn't produced science. And uh, they've actually paid uh, their own social researchers to go into this. And as uh, um, Neil Ferguson points out in uh, uh, Civilization, about two-thirds of the way through the book, he goes to China. And it's social scientists there who say, no, we, we've been told to find out why Christianity, uh, why, the, why the West succeeded in its economy etc and we, we thought it was first because you had bigger guns but it wasn't we thought it was a bigger economy it wasn't in the end they came to the conclusion it's your religion it's christianity that made it happen because one of the other the things that come out of it that we don't think about uh need thinking about a lot um whenever you say oh i shouldn't have done that and we've all said that haven't we not just for practical reasons we say I shouldn't have done that when you're ashamed of what you did because you weren't thinking of anybody except yourself at the time where did that come from it comes from our culture it's not present everywhere I mean the Quran teaches Muslims that they can they they can't kill the people of the book they must make them bend the knee to Islam and pay horrendous taxes uh, for all the rest if they don't convert you could kill them. Uh, that's what they were taught and that's what the fundamentalists believe because they believe their book and they didn't produce science in the modern experimental sense they looked after what the Greeks called science and they did mathematics which is a different matter Uh, they they looked at the world from a mathematical point of view certainly the stars and astronomy uh, but experimental science no, non-existent and that's what made it all possible but The price when you start worshipping science instead of worshipping God is huge. It pulls the world apart. Uh, When we lose God, we necessarily fall apart, usually slowly. What we had got from the Judeo-Christian tradition was a moral structure. What we got with the development of science was a way of making progress in the physical sense. But when you had teachers who saying, saying, God doesn't matter, we don't need him, it's just for women and children, as they would actually say, as though that was uh, a statement that was worth considering seriously. Yeah, children understand various... They have a sense of awe about the world, don't they? Which is lovely to watch, a curiosity about it. I was in church this Sunday and a little boy, about four, I guess, who was going to carry across cross down the aisle at the end of the, uh, of the service so his mother brought him near the front but he was into everything because he was curious about everything, he was lively and I thought how different you are from the teenagers who are not curious about anything at the moment they just think the world's going to end in no time flat because they've been brought into climate disaster, there'll be nothing for us so what's the point, they're, they're in an eat, drink and be merry but we don't know how to be merry mode The children still come into the world with curiosity, and so it can be rebuilt. But the cultures fall apart when they lose their moral base. Corruption is the biggest problem in most of the world, and it's increasing everywhere. I mean, the war in Ukraine is a war between two of the most corrupt countries in Europe, Russia and Ukraine. They're both incredibly corrupt countries. Uh, China has a problem with corruption. And they don't know how to deal with it. They understood. Uh, My colleague David Jeffrey was asked to go to China because of some of this work. And he he became an honorary professor in the University of Beijing. And uh, the first is he teaches English. And he was asked to teach in the University of Beijing. And we have the photograph somewhere at the college um, where he is... Teaching and the title with the Communist Party officials on the platform is The Bible in English Literature. They wanted him to help the students understand the role of the Bible in English literature. Why? Because they'd got back to realizing that something happens to children in the Western world, or used to, not in the same way now, uh, but they inhabited the stories of the Bible which are all morally consequential. And so they imbibe in narrative form without any thinking about it the way you ought to live and the way you ought not to live. They have models. And these get into children's stories. But the Chinese realize that in early childhood education, and these are the people they brought for these lectures, they can't understand what English stories for children did less so now uh, because we've got people who are playing with the moral structure of that world and teaching lies to the children but when they were brought up in the sunday school era for instance and where school had the bible read every day and was honored as a book all this the metaphors that transferred into the stories of children, they would make the connections intuitively without thinking about it. But even the people training to teach children in China couldn't read those books with understanding and they understood they were lacking something. And that's what David was asked to teach. And he went back year after year uh, and has lovely stories to tell of how that crept around China. Because without the fear of God in your life, it is the beginning of wisdom. It could stop you doing wrong wrong things, and that makes a society a better one. Something like the Ten Commandments are actually written on our hearts in some way. Uh, Budziszewski believes, I think he's right. But they have to be put in place by narrative in early childhood. And when they're not there, when they're taken out, when the educators think that they can teach you how to educate without knowing that education is the product of two loves, not skills, if you don't love your subject and you don't love the pupil, you will not be a great teacher. Those are the requirements. Um, we've lost that. So when that moral consensus is lost, now we can no longer say you ought not to do that. And say, says who? We knew that certain forms of sexuality were not good for society, but now we're not allowed to say anything about that. All forms of sexuality are equal. Of course they're not. You only have to look at outcomes. Just look at disease outcomes with behaviour. You don't need to look at anything else. They're just solid facts. You can go and look them up, as Tom Sowell would say. uh, When you have public policies, uh, you, you ought to do due diligence and go and look. Has anybody done anything about this before? Of course they have. There's data out there, and you can look. The cost of caring for a homosexual for a lifetime, because it's directly related to their homosexual activities, particularly in the male, is huge. Thousands and thousands of dollars spent per person per year. My dad went into hospital for one day in the whole of his life and had about two x-rays in the whole of his life. He cost the state virtually nothing in health terms, because he lived a good life. Uh, we've, got to, we've got to come back to this at some point. Toynbee understood that step one is loss of moral consensus because now you're, you're pulling away glue the glue that holds society together. I mean, your truth, my truth, that's the de- denial of truth. It's, it, it's rubbish. You have your truth, I have mine. Is that a true statement? They can't even answer that. There's no objective truth. So we might as well give up. Moral objective truth, of course. When you do that, and people start making laws that you can't respect, you get disrespect for law as a as an a real thing. Whereas common law, which has hundreds of years of history, was rooted in scripture. Uh, that's what's so good about it it's not all there was no constitution for Britain it was common law Uh, I think they wrote a a, a constitutional like document later because they got so embarrassed by countries that had been in the empire asking for the British constitution they had to be told it didn't exist what we have is a bill of rights and Magna Carta and common law common law is an incredible gift so flexible uh, not written in on stone, but written on paper, and can be judged by 12 good men and true, and changed. So, disrespect of law comes from the kinds of things we're doing now. I cannot respect certain behaviors. I could not possibly tell my children they are good, and I'm breaking the law if I say that in public in some places. But the evidence is overwhelming. So, you get disrespect for law and then of course you start to feel bad about yourself because you can see that this is not going to help um, it really is uh, disastrous and what happens next is you don't like yourself because of what you're being told you should do and deep down you're uncomfortable about it so inevitably escapism comes in drugs and alcohol and video games, Uh, we are so capable of being addicted to nonsense in order to escape thinking about who we really are and what we should be doing, and the whole society begins to drift. We get to self-loathing then, and you you see the self-loathing of people, anorexia in particular, is when people hate their bodies uh, instead of learning the wonders of them and their function and their, their beauty. Um... But Then you you loss, you get general promiscuity. This is Toynbee's sequence of disaster: how cultures die, and you can see cultures dying all around you at the moment. He studied over twenty cultures that have died. He's not popular now for some of his other views, but this sequence of ideas I think is worth thinking about a lot. Uh, now we ha- we have no rules about sex. We have no no rules about truth. Uh, is that going to be good news? We, we can do whatever we like, as so though there's no consequence. Sexually transmitted disease is disastrous. It's disastrous for marriages. It's disastrous for children. Syphilis is on the rise. That can ruin your baby's life if it's not picked up early enough. It's treatable, some of them, uh, not treatable uh, effectively if you miss the, the if you get the timing wrong. That's the world we live in. Not surprisingly, we're full of anxiety. Sorry, I'm going to have to stop to get the telephone to stop. Hello? Uh, Can you call back later? I'm just in the middle of a podcast of Maltzalabelle. Thanks, bye. I hope you can drink that, uh, build that in. We're going to be dealing with huge levels of anxiety as kids realise they can't even do what their parents did in terms of career. Uh, We're we're going to have a major problem with all those kids who are locked down, so it could be a generation that we've lost who will be deeply... uh, Sadly, they're going to feel that they're failures. Many of them do already. And they're anxious and they're hopeless. What do you do? We have answers to this. Now, I suggest if you've got children in this category, or if you're in this category yourself, you could do a lot worse than spending 20 minutes copying out the last chapter of Philippians. You can uh, scrub, but perhaps you should uh, leave the opening of the chapter where Paul tells two women who are having a fight in the church to get their act together and forgive one another. That happens in every church every now and again. People who don't talk to one another in a church. It's disgraceful. Has to stop. He says, stop now. He says, when you have problems, the first thing you have to do is pray about them. Tell God honestly where you are in your life. He knows anyway, but it's important that you tell him and that you ask where necessary, it almost always is necessary, for forgiveness for what you've done wrong and for help in the present. And Then he says, the peace of God will keep your heart and mind. Uh, that's a promise, and it will happen. And then he, he's way ahead of the psychologist. He says, now go and set your mind to think about good things, whatever is good and beautiful and honest and lovely, all those things. Uh, and that will direct your life in the right direction. He says, I'm speaking from experience. And he ends up, he knows he's going to have his head chopped off in the near future. And he says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Because he has a picture that's big enough that he can take in all the horrors of his life, uh, which he went through, and he considered them as nothing. He says, I was often knocked down but never knocked out in J.B. Phillips's lovely paraphrase of the passage from Corinthians. Put it on your fridge. Um, Write it out so that you can talk your way through it. Make it a, a way of life. And anxiety is not something you have to put up with. You have a mechanism for dealing with it. Now, I get a flood of, uh, it would be nice if I did get a flood, but I doubt I get a flood. But I hope it will help some people. I know it has helped people over the years, particularly uh, mothers of children with horrendous um, neurological and behavioral problems to deal with, uh, who have said that was so helpful to me. As you, I when mean, you told me, honestly, this is not going to be easy, but here's something that might help. You could only say that to Christians. And now you have to be extremely careful as a physician. Uh, They can build their symbols into everything. You you can't do anything without coming across a rainbow. But if there's a cross there, it has to be removed. At least it has the honesty to recognize a cross is powerful. And I hope this has been useful to some people. Thank you very much. Thank you guys all for listening. We hope you appreciated this podcast. If you want to learn more about it or learn more about Augustine College, which John mentioned, you can check the links in the description. And with that being said, we'll see you all in the next episode.